You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1905th edition of the St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 18th of November 2022. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Colin Holmes and your readers are Christian Jenner and Adrian Grenville. We should also like to mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Superglue vandals hit town businesses. 19 minutes 50 seconds, the unacceptable average time it takes an emergency ambulance to reach patients in Haverhill. Details of sex abuse victims appear online. Marathon man Ben aiming to run a hundred miles in 24 hours. Superglue vandals hit town businesses. Shopkeepers and businesses are being warned to stay vigilant after a spate of vandalism in the town centre involving superglue. Bosses at five firms in Bury St Edmunds have issued the warning about finding their front door locks blocked with glue. Some on more than one occasion over the last two weeks. The businesses are all based at the top of Abbeygate Street and include Belvoir Sales and Lettings, Jebu Designs, Errington's Legal, Jacobs Allen Accountants and Damson and Wild Bar and Restaurant. The vandals have also struck at a nearby building on Corn Hill and rendered three car parking ticket machines in the butter market inoperable after super-gluing the coin slots. Repair bills and new keys have always cost the businesses hundreds of pounds. Fabrizio Lippi, manager at Damson de Wilde, said, I discovered the lock had been glued around midnight as we were closing. I was there until about 2am trying to sort it out. At first, I thought it might be a member of staff whose key had broken as they left. Then I heard it had happened at other places and couldn't understand it. It doesn't serve any purpose, and it's particularly bad at a time when businesses generally need money to pay towards bills rather than repairs. Police say all the incidents had taken place between 9am and 5.30pm. They are reviewing CCTV footage handed to them by the council for clues. Patsy Day director at Belvoir, which shares a building with Jabu Designs and Errington Legal, said, Whoever it is has been here three times in the past two weeks. It's just mindless and causes great inconvenience. Apart from the cost of a locksmith, a new lock and keys, there is the disruption it causes. The vandals struck on October 26, November 3rd and 6th, between 9.30am and 5.30pm. Anyone with information is asked to contact the police on 101, reference 37-71005-22 and 
37 backslash 71011 backslash 22. The unacceptable average time it takes an ambulance to reach patients in Haverhill. Figures showing that ambulances in Haverhill are taking an average of 19 minutes and 50 seconds to reach patients in life-threatening situations have been condemned. Records for October show that for Category 1 calls, the most serious emergencies, the ambulance response time across England, excluding London, averaged 9 minutes 56 seconds. And for the whole of the East of England Ambulance Service, NHS Trust, area, it was 11 minutes 12 seconds. But for the Haverhill area, it was 19 minutes 50 seconds. Haverhill Town and West Suffolk District Councillor Tony Brown said, This is the worst monthly response time recorded ever, nearly three times the national target, and hugely longer than the trust-wide performance. I'm concerned that month on month the figures for Haverhill are deteriorating at a far greater rate than the rest of England and the Trust as a whole. The current delays in the Haverhill area mean residents are at a much greater risk of avoidable death or life-changing injury and this is a situation that is unacceptable and can't be left to continue. He added that the ambulance response times for Haverhill had deteriorated since January, when one of the rapid response vehicles tethered to the town ambulance station was removed, an action he had opposed. Referring to West Suffolk MP's Matt Hancock's current stint on I'm a Celebrity, Tony added, This may be something that our MP should be sorting out. Instead of, instead of spending his time in the jungle or on SAS reality shows. Details of sex abuse victims appear online. Police error spotted by member of public. An investigation has been launched after Suffolk Police accidentally published the details of sexual abuse victims online. Information published is believed to have contained victims' names, addresses, dates of birth and details of the alleged sexual offences committed as well as details relating to the subject. A member of the public who contacted this paper about the branch said it affected hundreds of victims. A full investigation has been launched by the force. Support organisation Suffolk Rape Crisis warned such a leak could put women at threat of further violence. Suffolk's Police and Crime Commissioner Tim Passmore has called for measures to be put in place to prevent such an incident happening again. Marathon man Ben aiming to run 100 miles in 24 hours. Charity runner Ben Blows will be tackling a new challenge next month to raise money to provide once-in-a-lifetime holidays for children with life-limiting illnesses and their families. Ben has raised hundreds of thousands of pounds for local charities with his long-distance exploits, including £200,000 when he ran a marathon a day for the whole of December 2021. Now, a year later, he plans to run 100 miles in 24 hours for the Soham-based Liam Fairhurst Foundation, a charity run by the parents of Liam who died, aged 14, in 2009, 
after a brave battle against cancer, which saw his fundraising campaign to help other children affected by the disease recognised, when he was the winner of a National Child of Courage Award. Ben will be running in memory of Ollie Jewell, a teenager with complex medical needs who died aged 17 last December. Ollie and his family were taken to Euro Disney in 2015 thanks to the foundation, which has also helped about a dozen more families to enjoy an extra special break together. Since Ollie died, his family and friends have raised enough money to sponsor six families affected by cancer, disability and life-limiting illness to go on holiday. It was Ollie's uncle, David Masters, also a runner, who told Ben about his nephew, and Ben made it his aim to raise the cost of holidays for four further families. Knowing about someone personally who was supported by LFF before his death, I wanted to do something to help, said Ben. As daunting as this challenge is, it is one that I am relishing, and I am hoping the local running community will come out to support me, as they have always done in the past. And now we have some general news. Santa Claus is coming to town with a new sleigh. Haverhill has a brand new Santa sleigh, thanks to a real community effort. Haverhill Santa, a collaboration of Haverhill Show Committee and the Disco Kitchen, will tour the town in December in a freshly built sleigh, raising money for REACH community projects and the Joshua Tarrant Trust. The Haverhill Santa team commissioned the new sleigh to be built by Dave Wilson, owner of Dave Green Vehicle Services, and Ben Wierney Carpentry, with the graphics and wrapping provided by Amazing Graphics. Haverhill Santa has been run for 27 years by Haverhill Round Table, but it was announced last year the organisation would no longer be able to continue, after which the new organisation team stepped in. Joe Mason, chairman of the Haverhill Show, said, The build team has exceeded expectations. Everyone who's seen it is thrilled by the quality finish of the project. We gave Dave Wilson and Ben Wearney a challenging design brief, and they have really delivered. Mr Wilson said there had been challenges and hurdles along the way, it's taken many late hours to complete the project. The actual base is that of a caravan, and on it are two life-size reindeer with antlers, and then the accommodation behind it, which can take four people, is an immaculate red sleigh mounted on the base where a caravan body would sit. Sleigh building, of course, is new to us, as we specialise in vehicle repairs. We could not be happier with a finished product. Santa will be delighted to visit the houses in Havehill in this new sleigh. Andy Palazon, lead fundraiser from the Disco Kitchen, added, DK members and their local community have supported us all the way. Now the sleigh has been unveiled, I'm just so excited to take it out. I hope it brings joy to local families for many years to come. King Charles delights 107-year-old bunny with card sent to care home. A Hadley care home was honoured after receiving a card from the king, 
and for one special resident, the card was her ninth from the royal family. At 107 years old, nursing home resident Violet Honeybun, who likes to be called Bunny, received eight birthday cards from the late Queen and was proud to hold a card from King Charles. Hadley Nursing Home received the King's message in response to the sympathy card they sent him following the Queen's death, which read, Sorry for the loss of Queen Elizabeth II, your beloved mother. The response, personally signed and including a photograph of Charles as a boy with his mother, reads, It was so very kind of you to send me such a wonderfully generous message following the death of my beloved mother. Your most thoughtful words are enormously comforting, and I cannot tell you how deeply they are appreciated at this immense sorrow. Mrs Honeybun has a special link to the royal family, as her husband was footman to the Queen's cousin, Lord Lassells, and part of the Grenadier Guards during the Second World War. Suffolk's Royal Air Force marched through Bury St Edmunds to commemorate those who pay the ultimate sacrifice in the service of our countries and in the pursuit of freedom. During Remembrance Sunday, the service personnel from RAF Honington paid their tributes to people who served and sacrificed their lives during the two world wars. The parade was led by the RAF Honington Voluntary Band and demonstrated the King's colour for the RAF Regiment along with fellow armed forces contingents, veterans and cadets. Station Captain Group Captain Piers Dutch Holland said that he's immensely proud to parade in the hometown of Bury St Edmunds for Remembrance Day. He added, We are honoured to parade alongside past, present and future generations of the armed forces and our United States Air Force friends, as together remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice in the service of our countries and in pursuit of freedom. Staff ecstatic after Suffolk Pub of the Year is revealed. A pub at the heart of its community, which cooked food for those isolated during lockdown and serves daily lunches to schoolchildren, has been crowned Suffolk Pub of the Year. Back in August, we, and this is the local newspaper, asked readers to help us and from there 181 deserving pubs were shortlisted. After counting up the votes, we can reveal this year's winner is the Cock Horse Inn in Lavenham. Amanda Poole, who is a co-owner of the pub, said, Everyone is ecstatic, really. It is the sense of achievement and it is nice people recognising everything we do. The team deserve it and they work incredibly hard to make sure customer service is on point and everyone is welcome. It's down to them. The pub has a team of just under 25 people working from the kitchen to front of house to create the perfect atmosphere for customers. Mrs Poole said, From the food to the service, it's really important. The last few years haven't been the easiest. The best thing to come out of it is that it has brought us, us and the community closer together. During the pandemic, the pub threw itself into community work to provide food for those isolated. In addition, it continues to provide lunch for pupils at the village primary school. A Suffolk Health Watchdog is appealing for people to participate 
in a maternity mental health services survey after a previous assessment revealed concerns about general maternity provision. Healthwatch Suffolk is consulting new parents to find out what is working and what needs improving after previous feedback revealed a large amount of dissatisfaction with maternity care. Of 147 parents polled between January 2021 and January 2022, 61 reported negative experiences while using maternity services in the county, while 67 were positive about the care they received, and a further 19 were said to have mixed feelings. Of 75 parents cared for at Ipswich and Colchester hospitals, run by East Suffolk and North Essex Foundation Trust, 33 reported positive experiences and 32 negative, with 19 mixed. At West Suffolk, NHS Foundation Trust, which runs West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds, 21 out of 45 responses were positive, 16 negative and 8 mixed. Four key areas were revealed where improvements were needed, including staff attitudes, postnatal care and support, information about treatment and feeling involved in staff capacity. In May, the organisation chiefs said they would put in place recommendations from a stark and chilling report into NHS midwifery by October. Silhouettes honour 41 fallen soldiers from Suffolk Village. Silhouettes of soldiers have appeared in a Suffolk village to honour the villagers who lost their lives in the world wars. The 41 silhouettes have been erected in Hawley, commemorating the 41 villagers who lost their lives in the First World War and Second World War. The silhouettes, made of plywood, have been placed on the village green, where the men congregated before going off to war, with some never to return. This is the third year the silhouettes have appeared for Remembrance Day. Palmer's Bakery in Hawley spearheads the memorial, with owner Kieran Palmer explaining why they do it. Mr Palmer said, I had seen soldiers' silhouettes in books and I thought it might be quite emotive. So we got some plywood and a template and we cut it out and painted it and put them up and it's very effective, especially on a misty morning. I think it is important to remember everybody who gave their lives for our freedom today. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. The world would have been very different. They gave their lives and they deserve to be remembered. Covid campaigners fly message to Hancock in I'm a Celebrity Jungle. Campaigners have flown a message over the IMAC Celebrity Jungle addressed to Mac Hancock reading Covid bereaved, say get out of here. The plane, tailing a 35-foot banner, circled the Australian camp for two hours on Tuesday. It was organised by the campaign group 38 Degrees who are working with Covid-19 bereaved families for justice. The organisation said a noise complaint to the pilot suggests it didn't go unheard in the jungle. Since joining the ITV reality show, the 45-year-old Hancock has faced much criticism over his decision from the public and fellow politicians. 
In June last year, the MP resigned as Health Secretary after he was caught breaking coronavirus social distancing rules by having an affair with his ministerial office with aide Gina Colandanglo. During the show, he since said it was a mistake and he fell in love, adding that he was looking for a bit of forgiveness. Matthew McGregor, chief executive of 38 Degrees, said, No one has forgotten how Matt Hancock conducted himself during the COVID-19 pandemic. Not the general public, not his campmates, and certainly not those who lost loved ones. Our message, emblazoned across the skies, made crystal clear to Matt Hancock, you should have represented the people. Bus operator does U-turn on changes. Just two weeks after it cut some buses connecting Haverhill and Cambridge, Stagecoach East has bowed to public pressure and made a U-turn by reinstating them. On October the 30th, the bus operator withdrew its brackets unsustainable X13, 13A, 13B and 13C services while the 13 services route was revised to provide what it claimed was a direct and faster link between Haverhill and Cambridge. However, the changes resulted in commuters, students and NHS staff at Addenbrooke's not being able to get a bus or seeing buses that previously passed near their homes no longer doing so because of the changes. With public disquiet rising, Stagecoach announced a raft of changes on Monday. David Bowden, Business Development Director for Stagecoach East, said, We are delighted to introduce these changes to our 13 and 131 services in Cambridgeshire to provide passengers on these routes with additional capacity, reduced journey time and improved frequency. We are constantly listening to passenger feedback and looking for ways to enhance our services to respond directly to the travel needs of local people. Life-saving new defilibrator brings towns total to 20. A defilibrator has been unveiled in Sudbury as part of a mission to bring the life-saving devices closer to the people. Andy Reid from Sudbury who received four shocks from a defilibrator when he suffered a cardiac arrest back in August 2018, has been campaigning to make more of the devices accessible to people quickly. The latest defib, the town's 20th in total, was funded by Leslie Reynolds and Ama Calm from Ballington Hall and is situated at the Ballington Boathouse in Cross Street. Mr Reid said, It's critical that defilibrators are available very quickly when the heart stops. They should be accessible no more than two minutes away, so the patient can have shocks within four minutes. Defilibrators are intelligent and only get a shock where needed. They are literally the differences between life and death. The overall aim of the project is to make sure that a defilibrator is no more than two minutes from everyone. Mr Reid and the team hope to bring the number of devices in Sudbury up to 23 in 2023. They're also hoping to make sure that with major planning applications, over 15 homes submitted in the future, that developers consider the purchase and installation of a defilibrator. 
Organisers try to recoup £10,000 after fireworks cancelled. Organisers of one of Suffolk's biggest firework displays are determined to recoup £10,000 in losses after the event was cancelled due to the discovery of three unexploded bombs. The Big Night Out is held in Long Melford to mark Bonfire Night every November and usually attracts around 10,000 people a year. Returning for the first time in two years, the event was cancelled just 48 hours before after three unexploded mortar bombs were discovered on the grounds of Melford Hall. President of Project 7, the local fundraising organisation that runs the Big Night Out, Andrew Hagger said, we won't be able to give any money away this year as we normally do. Since Project 7 started running the event in 1982, the community group has raised £750,000 for local charitable causes, including Breakthrough Breast Cancer Suffolk, St Nicholas Hospice Care and Suffolk and Essex Small Animal Welfare. Project 7 has, often, has offered refunds and will be holding another refund day at Melford Hall on Saturday, November the 19th, between 10am and 2pm. However, Mr Hagger said he'd been touched by those who'd attended the last refund day and ripped their tickets up, preferring to give the money to the group's charitable causes instead. Suffolk's British Empire Medal Recipients have been formally handed their awards. The British Empire Medal is given to people for civil or military service worth of recognition from the Crown. The individuals were awarded their medals in Her Late Majesty's the Queen's Birthday Honours List. Berries and Edmunds Rickshaw were also given their Queen's Award for Voluntary Service at a ceremony led by Lord Lieutenant Lady Clare, Countess of Euston, at the racing stables in Euston. The recipients of the British Empire Medal were Mr Andrew Lambert Tyrrell Brown, Chair, <coughs> Suffolk Libraries for Services to Public Libraries. Elizabeth Rebecca Gray, Nurse, East Suffolk and North Essex NHS Foundation Trust for Services to NHS. Joanna Ogden, Yoga Teacher for Services to the Community in Suffolk. Berry St Edmunds Rickshaw, Queen's Award for Voluntary Service. The honour is the equivalent of an MBE and is the highest award to a voluntary, serve, voluntary group that can receive it. A Suffolk dog lover who started a specialist wheelchair charity as a legacy to her beloved pet Winston has shared how his legacy has helped some 400 dogs. As the East Anglian Daily Times enters the final week of collecting tokens for its Cash for Charity initiative, readers will be able to read about the ex exploits of the causes seeking a share of the £16,000 available and what it will mean to them. Rachel Wetner, the founder of Winston's Wheels, created the charity following her own journey caring for her late Staffordshire Bull Terrier Winston. In 2017, at the age of nine, Winston began showing signs of a more pronounced swagger, which led to the diagnosis of a tumour and the loss of use of his hind legs. Determined to give him a fighting chance and through the kindness of a stranger, Miss Wetner was given a specialist wheelchair that Winston could use to go to his favourite places around Sudbury.
It inspired her to set up a charity providing wheelchairs for dogs with mobility or illness to continue being dogs. The 46-year-old Great Cornard resident said he had three years in his wheelchair. Everybody that knew him knew he was so happy and he did everything he did before just in a wheelchair. He was still the same dog but his legs did not work. Initially, Winston's Wheels began as a fundraiser on Facebook to fund wheelchairs, which cost anything between £230 to £800, depending on the dog's size. Miss Wetner said, Just three months after Winston's passing, we got charity status and we have been able to make it his legacy. A woman in court over protest. A Suffolk woman has appeared in court accused of disrupting traffic during a protest on Tower Bridge in London. Scarlett Posnet of Berries and Edmonds appeared before Westminster Magistrates Court on Wednesday. The 19-year-old stood to confirm her name, age and address in front of a packed public gallery. Christopher Riches, 21, of Florey, Northamptonshire, Amy Rugeasley, 31, of Shymore, Newcastle-on-Pontine, and Christopher Lewis Farley, 52 of Malvern, Worcestershire, also appeared in court today, also accused of disrupting traffic during a protest on Tower Bridge. They pleaded not guilty to committing willful obstruction of a highway at the landmark on April the 8th. The four were granted unconditional bail and are due to stand trial at the same court on February the 10th, twenty. A charity festive jumper day has returned, hoping to fund a fun-filled family day for children with special educational needs. The Gee Whiz Christmas Jumper Day on December the 9th will see people wearing their favourite knitwear and donating to the cause. Last year, more than 30 companies got involved in the day, including the Bury Free Press, and organisers are hoping to make this one bigger than ever. Aileen Bellsberg... G. Wiz's chief executive said, We are so excited to see the Suffolk community dressed in their favourite festive knits again. After a tough few years, organising a day that will reunite our local special educational need families once again is so important to us. They truly are the heart of the G. Wiz charity. Nurses vote to strike at hospital. Nursing staff at West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds are among those that have voted to strike. The Royal College of Nursing, RCN, announced this week that members of the West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, which also covers Newmarket Community Hospital, have met the legal threshold for strike action. Dates for the strikes have not yet been confirmed. Jane O'Brien, RCN Senior Officer for for Suffolk and Norfolk, said... RCN members in Suffolk have made it clear that enough is enough and voted to take strike action over pay and patient safety concerns. We have always been clear that patient safety will be at the centre of our planning as we move to strike action. Arts and Craft Exhibition Returns The annual Walsham Willows Arts and Craft Group Exhibition will take place later this month. Art lovers will be able to take a look at and buy works including batik, ceramics and photography. Taking place in the Priory Room in Walsham Willows, the exhibition is free to enter 
Purchases can only be made by cash or cheque. The exhibition, which will open on November the 26th, runs until November the 28th. Now we're reading through some letters. The first one comes from John Davis of Berris and Edmonds, headed Reflecting on what people voted for. I see that Alan Noble would like to get rid of the two-party system and give consideration to the Lib Democrats or preferably the Green Party at the next election, as mentioned in the EADT. I wonder if he has thought of changing our voting system so that we dump first past the post. FPTP for what we now and plump for PPPR, party percentage proportional representation, which means the percentage of party seats would match the percentage of party votes. My calculations for the 2019 general elections results would result in the Lib Democrats, instead of 11 MPs, would have 47, and I can name every one, because that's what the voters voted for. It is time to seriously consider changing our voting system so the results actually reflect the wishes of the people. This letter is from Simon Harding in Bury St Edmunds and is headlined, Please Move Your Bins Off Pavement. Bury probably has more mobility use, scooter users than many towns, and like pedestrians, scooters have to negotiate the appalling state of so many of our pavements. An additional problem for scooter users is when wheelie bins are left out on the pavement, making it impossible to pass. It always seems to be where there is no dropped curb in sight. The only option is to reverse, often a long way, not the easiest of manoeuvres, until you can get onto the road, which perversely often seems to be a one-way street going in the opposite direction to you. So if residents can take in their wheelie bins as soon as possible after emptying, it would be a great help. Memories of wartime doodlebugs, written in by J. Leonard of Martlesham. In July 1944, my mother was walking to her parents' house at Ely Hill, Cable St Andrew, when something whizzed past her and landed on the ground outside the back door of Valley Farm. When she returned later that afternoon, the army and a bomb disposal unit were there. It was a V1 doodlebug which had cruised to the ground without exploding. The ministry was able to take it away and investigate how it was made. I was told that after the war, it found its way to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. Why are gutters not cleaned out? asks P. Pettit of Bury St Edmunds. May I, through your paper, ask, where are the council workers when it comes to cleaning out the gutters, which are all clogged up with mud or grass, thus causing roads to be closed because of flooding? If these were cleaned out, rainwater would be able to escape naturally. I pay my council tax every month without fail, and I expect more for my money. Peter Critchley of Pakenham writes that government is on the wrong course. One would think that any normal conservative politician or any government would be alarmed to find that nurses are so desperate and feel so let down they have to strike. And the government's response? 
They tell the nurses they must seriously consider the impact on patients any such action could have, as if the action they have taken for the last 12 years, austerity below inflation raise, wage increases, underfunding, etc., etc., has had no impact at all. You couldn't make it up. Many of those nurses, like others on low wages, will be suffering large increases to their mortgages, through no fault of their own, and yet the people that cause the financial crisis are still in a job. It's quite obvious the government prefers to upset the nurses rather than upset the financial markets. It is a mystery to me how large increase in mortgages can bring down inflation. Surely we need to spend that money on goods and services to keep people in jobs. The main problem we have in this country is that people still vote Conservative no matter what damage they do to the country and its people and until they come to their senses things will only get worse but they will only have themselves to blame. And Danny Pullen from Framlingham remembers Britain's first atomic test. October 2022 was the 70th anniversary of Britain's first atomic device. This was detonated on the 3rd of October 1952 in HMS Plym off the Montebello Islands, northwest coast of Australia. Needless to say, HMS Plym was obliterated. I was a member of the crew who sailed HMS Plym from Chatham Docks, UK. After the test, I was sent to the island to be part of the clean-up crew of various bits of equipment used in the test. On October the 26th, 2022, I celebrated my 94th birthday. I am of sound mind and limb, unlike many others who either because of war or nuclear testing have not been so lucky. I will be most pleased if this letter prompts others who took part in Operation Hurricane to come forward. We do not pay carers what they are worth, writes John Jopling from Bury St Edmunds. I read with interest the article by your local democracy reporter, the Berry Free Press, regarding adult social care job vacancies. And while I found it quite interesting, I'm afraid, as usual, it doesn't quite get to the root of what is a simple problem with regards to recruitment. The fact is, is that in most residential care homes, at least, a carer will earn the minimum wage. I hesitate to call it the living wage, as the government does, of £9.50, which gives an annual income of £18,525. Even if an employer pays a generous £10.50 for an hour, and I'm not sure many of them do, this only gives an annual income of 20475 to put this in perspective, to rent a small two-bedroom property in Berry St Edmunds, a person must have an income of at least 27000 per annum, sources several popular letting agents. In short, caring is not a career that will provide a main household income or a roof over your head. What must also be realised is a carer's wage does not increase with experience and training. It doesn't matter if they have 10 minutes experience or 10 years or what qualifications they gain, their pay remains the same. Carers are not classed by the government as skilled workers, fact, despite the fact they're highly skilled. However, what is more important is not their level of skill, which comes with practice and training, 
but their personal qualities of patience, empathy, kindness, resilience. Qualities that are inbuilt and quite often why they chose to be carers in the first place. It seems that while it's a thought the carers should naturally have these qualities, they are not something that brings them just reward. Until society, in reality the government and local authority, realises that it needs to pay people who look after people at least as much as people who look after money, and care providers are prepared to pay them what they're worth, it will forever have a shortage of carers. And a letter headed Embracing Climate Change Solutions comes from Sarah Thompson in Woodbridge. The only way the world is going to reach net zero by 2050 is for governments worldwide to stop fossil fuel companies from continuing their explanation for exploration for new sources. This could be achieved by offering tax breaks for massive renewables investment, research, development and implementation, offset by punitive tax burdens for any new fossil fuel initiatives. The myriad solutions to our problems are staring us in the face. Solar panels on all factory roofs, solar panels on all new-build homes, ground source heat pumps in all new-build homes, retrofitted insulation, increased onshore and offshore wind farms, tidal power, penalties for frequent flyers, the list goes on. What is essential is for leaders and politicians to prize themselves away from short-term actions in efforts to ensure their premiership's longevity and instead to focus on the survival of our planet with long-term goals to protect our children and grandchildren. And now we return to some general news. Two mums who sought help from Berry St Edmunds charity Gatehouse speak out about their experience. Care Nichols reports. Two Berry St Edmunds mums have spoken about their experiences after seeking help from Gatehouse Charity. A 43-year-old woman who wishes to remain anonymous reached out to the organisation when she found she was herself struggling to buy two of her children uniforms ahead of their move to upper school. The woman works as a self-employed tutor, so does not make money during the holiday periods. It was signposted to Gatehouse by a friend who had also been helped by their school uniform appeal. Her children were given two pairs of trousers, two tops and two jumpers with school logos on, as well as Matalan vouchers for other essentials like socks and underwear. She said, It was just a relief, really, that my children didn't have to wear a second-hand uniform. Honestly, you wouldn't think they were just opening brand new uniforms. They were so excited, it was like Christmas. Another person helped by the school uniform appeal was a 53-year-old mum living on the Marham Park estate. This woman, who also wishes to remain anonymous, is a regular user of the charity's discount supermarket and homeware store where goods can be bought for less than the regular price. She said her 13-year-old son's growth spurt prompted her to ask CEO Amanda Bloomfield for help. She couldn't afford to replace the clothes she needed for his non-uniform school. I found it's not just going in and helping me with something I might need financially. It's knowing that if I want a word with somebody or some advice on what I can do, can pop along and just chat to somebody. 
she explained. I can find someone who will speak to me without judgment and without blaring it everywhere. The mum had previously used food vouchers from the charity when food was low, but said it was the kindness and support those who are working at the charity provide that is most important. They're always looking out for things that will benefit people in the community, and then they're offering that to the people who need it the most for free, she said. I'm not just about making sure people are fed. It's about making sure people have got support, making sure people aren't lonely, and they can come into groups or go out for a day trip. And one last letter from R. King in Long Melford, and it's headlined, Let's Ditch George in Favour of Edmund. Many people celebrate Burns Night, even if they are not Scottish. Many people celebrate St. Patrick's Day, even if they are not Irish, and nor was St. Patrick, by the way. But few celebrate our official patron saint when it comes to marking St. George's Day. We should make St. Edmund our patron saint again, a real king of East Anglia. He was supposedly killed at Hoxton and buried in Bury St. Edmunds. Someone who did exist sounds much better than a fictional Greek slaying a fictional beast. He was originally the patron saint of England, so why don't we just get rid of St George and return our own man? So come on, why not fly the flag of St Edmund in East Anglia on November the 20th, St Edmund's Day? And if we can't make St Edmund England's patron saint, then we should make him the saint of East Anglia and market ourselves like Cornwall and Yorkshire. Fair to kick off festive season. A festive bonanza is coming to the Morton Hall estate in Bury St Edmunds. A Christmas event is being held at the estate's community centre on November the 20th from 11.30am to 6pm with the aim of bringing the community together, according to the event organiser, Lisa Fisher. The businesswoman and Morton Hall resident, who makes and sells bath bombs and goodies under the guise of Miss Fizzy Winkles, has spent months planning the fair. She said, Lots of small businesses have faced struggles over the last few years, so I wanted to repeat the success of the last Christmas event I organised in 2019. But make this one even bigger and even better and try to pull us all small businesses together. It will feature 33 carefully curated stalls to ensure a good mix of items for sale, while craft activities will be available to keep young visitors occupied. Children will also be able to meet Santa Claus from the round table and return for a donation. And Lisa hopes some rides for small children will join the fun. Visitors and vendors will also include Penny's Pick and Mix, Body Shop, Luna Rose, Miss Fizzy Winkles, Personalised Gifts, Woodcraft, a wildlife photographer, make-your-own-headband kits and the Crafty Foxes. This is a chance to kick off the festive season and get some of your gift buying completed, said Lisa. I hope people will come and have a good look around at some fastic small businesses from the area. The bar will be open, festive music will be playing, there will be things for children to do and food will be available. For 50 years, the volunteers of Suffolk Accident Rescue Service have been first on the scene at life-threatening emergencies, giving their time selflessly to save lives. This is a piece by writer Jane Lindell. 
It's Wednesday evening, and in a village hall at Ufford near Woodbridge, I'm kneeling on the floor next to a plastic human torso, my arms pounding away at its chest to the beat in my head of staying alive. It's hard work, but I'm gaining a lot for the experience. I can't speak for the dummy. There follows an introduction to the defibrillator, which demystifies the yellow box on the wall. I'll have no hesitation using one now if I have to, and I'm left wondering how it's taken me so many years to get round to learning CPR. It's really not difficult, yet it can be quite literally a lifesaver. My cardiopulmonary resuscitation lesson is courtesy of Kevin Breitschbrecher, a team responder and advanced clinical practitioner with the life-saving medical charity Suffolk Accident Rescue Service (SARS). When Kevin and other SARS clinicians aren't attending accidents and emergencies around the county, they and the charity's supporters are out and about at events like this one, educating us about how we can improve our chances of surviving cardiac arrest and spreading the word about the work of SARS. SARS celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. It's a quiet achiever and many people are probably unaware it even exists. At the scene of a serious accident, you're unlikely to be able to tell the SARS responders apart from the other emergency services, yet their presence is critical. Launched in 1972, the service was originally run by local GPs to support the emergency services in the days before we had paramedics and fully equipped ambulances. Its aim was, and still is, to provide specialist, high-level, immediate care to people in traumatic situations who might not otherwise survive before they reach hospital. Since it began, SARS has attended almost 18,500 incidents across the county at no cost to patients. It's entirely funded by voluntary donations, grants and the fundraising activities of its band of supporters. The money pays for medical equipment and supplies and keeping two rapid response cars on the road. The clinicians, like Kevin, are all volunteers who give hundreds of hours to SARS in addition to their professional jobs as anaesthetists, emergency medicine consultants, critical care paramedics, advanced critical care practitioners and nurses. Because SARS clinicians live locally, they are often first on the scene of a life-threatening incident. This can be vital when time is critical. The additional and advanced level of patient care SARS clinicians provide is not normally available outside the hospital environment. They carry specialist equipment and medication that ambulances don't, and may even perform life-saving surgery at the site of an accident. This helps save lives, reduces the chances of someone being permanently disabled by their injuries and gives them relief from extreme pain. SARS is an extraordinary human endeavour and the need is increasing. It now attends between 400 and 500 incidents a year and the charity is keen to keep adding clinicians to the team as well as developing its voluntary resources to help more people. Aikenfield's Ronald Blythe turns 100.
celebrated Suffolk author Ronald Blythe, champion the East Anglian landscape and rural life, is celebrating his 100th birthday, which was November the 6th, with the release of his latest book, Next to Nature, A Lifetime in the English Countryside. The author, who was born in Acton near Sudbury, now lives in Wormingford on the Suffolk-Essex border in an early 17th century farmhouse inherited from the artist and close friend John Nash. Its placement at the end of a long dirt track provides a sanctuary away from the increasingly mechanised world and allows Ronald to continue to revel in the joys of the natural world. Although his faith and work for the church has dominated his life for decades, he was appointed a lay canon in 2003, and his column for the Church Times, A Word from Wormingford, is still a wry must-read, Ronald's enduring claim to fame has to be his 1969 novel Aikenfield, a moving and atmospheric look at rural life stretching from 1880 to 1966. The book was such a huge success, drawn from a series of interviews with Suffolk natives, Blythe conducted between 1966 and 67, it was immediately made into a film by Suffolk-born natural theatre director Peter Hall. In keeping with the spirit of the Blythe's novel, Hall opted to cast his film with local actors in the residence of Charlesfield and Devich, the village that Blythe merged in order to create his fictional settlement. Shot at weekends over 18 months to accommodate the work schedule of the amateur actors, the film, like the original novel, caught the unchanging nature of life in the Suffolk countryside during the early years of the 20th century. When Hall's film was screened on Blythe BBC One in late 1974, it was watched by 15 million viewers, prompting another wave of sales of Blythe's novel and confirming its status as a contemporary classic although it was primarily an evocation of world that was already on passing. In an interview with his paper in the mid-1970s, he said, When I wrote Oakenfield, I had no idea that anything particular was happening, but it was the last days of the old traditional life in Britain, and it vanished just about as the book came out. Although I haven't actually worked this land, but I've seen the land ploughed by horses, so I have a feeling and understanding in that respect. Aikenfield, the novel, is a study of what people regarded as a timeless way of life. But Ronald can recognise signs of change. Although resolutely unsentimental, his book was an eulogy for rural idyll that had lasted for nearly 2,000 years. By using the words of the real farm workers and their families, Blythe dealt matter-of-factly with the notions of life, death, farming religion and the countryside. An indication of just how precipient Donald has been was demonstrated in 2004 when he met Sir Peter Hall and Aikenfield cast member Peggy Cole and Garrow Shand at Hoo Church to shoot extras for the DVD release for the film. In the 40 years since he carried out his research interviews for the book, the Suffolk countryside has shifted from being a predominantly working landscape to a leisure resource and a residential backdrop. It was something that Sir Peter and Ronald discussed as they were filmed visiting the old locations. Talking to Blythe as they looked over the countryside surrounding Hoo Church 
as Peter observed, it's amazing how the place has changed. I think we did the film at exactly the right time, although we didn't know that then, because it committed a world on the cusp of a very great change. Farming, and therefore the countryside, has undergone some enormous changes in the last 30 years, and I think Aikenfield came along at exactly the right time to recall these changes. Ronald agreed. I think that makes Aikenfield so popular. Both the book and the film is that it captures the spirit of Suffolk. It's everyone's story. It's not the story of one person or one family or even one village. It's everyone's story. Contact with both parents is now recognised as the best outcome for children after couples split up, but it is not always easy. Barbara Eels discovered how a local service can help. Every Saturday afternoon in a Suffolk church hall, children and parents meet up to spend time together. These few hours are precious. Without them, they might not see each other at all. Shocking statistics reveal that more than a million children in the UK lose all contact with one of their parents following divorce or separation. The huge number is a stark reminder of the crucial role of child contact centres nationwide in helping avoid added heartache in the wake of a broken relationship. They provide a safe, neutral space where children can meet the parents they no longer live with and sometimes other family members. In West Suffolk, a small local charity has been stepping into that breach for more than 30 years. Bury St Edmund's Child Contact Centre, which is affiliated to the national body, is one of only two of its kind in the county. The other is in Ipswich. The time together is not supervised, although staff and volunteers are there if needed, but the handover is, smoothing the way for separated couples who do not want to meet. Parent and child have their own space in the hall, with a table and chairs, where they can spend the afternoon talking, playing or just enjoying being with each other. Emotional messages of thanks show just how vital the service is. One parent wrote, I hadn't realised the need for centres like this until I was in the situation myself, and now that I am, it's been a real lifeline. I can't praise the centre highly enough for the service it provides to families in need. Another said, that was the first time I'd seen my child in months, and it meant a huge amount to me to be able to see and make sure my child is okay. Seeing them even briefly has been a massive relief. And yet the team who run the contact centre believe numerous families could still be missing out on their help. Some don't realise the service is available because there has been no court or social services involvement in their arrangements for the children. While cases can be referred to the centre through solicitors or the courts, it is also possible for families to make contact independently. I don't think we are very well known, said Susan McGregor, secretary of the contact centre which welcomes people from Bury and surrounding towns and villages. A lot of families who split up don't go through the courts or have social services in the background. What a break. A winter beer festival at the Constitutional Club will be taking place from November the 25th until November the 27th. The festival is being organised by the West Suffolk branch of Camera and the Constitutional Club, with the event being free to enter for those interested. 
Also on November the 27th, eco-conscious stallholders will hold and join regular traders and street food sellers at the market in the Butter Market and Cornhill between 10am and 4pm. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Bury Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Colin, Christian, Adrian and Mary, it's goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.